We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey folks, welcome back to The E-Commerce Leader. We are in the middle today of, as usual, a little two-part division of a discussion. This time it's about first principles and specifically asymmetric risk reward. We've talked about it in depth so far and it's really, really important. One that if you look for or engineer it, you will find really over time massively changes everything about your business. I'm a huge believer in this. Today we're going to be talking about a couple of things. Pixie Fair, which is uh, one of Jason's own businesses and the main e-commerce site he runs with Cinnamon, his wife, and an example from that of um, asymmetric risk reward and also SPAC investing, which is something that Jason is currently involved in, which is, I'm not even going to tell you what it is, actually, you're going to have to listen for it as ever. We're grateful for your time and where that these are concepts that aren't immediate quick wins, but that I, I and Jason both truly believe are very, very powerful and very practical they just require some thought to go from strategy to implementation level and hopefully the practical examples we give will will inspire you to do the same in your own business so enjoy the show and thanks in advance for listening well i think at the macro level the question is like is entrepreneurship even a logical uh, thing to get into and is e-commerce selling even a logical thing to get into and it goes back to this robert kiyosaki quote that i've used in prior podcasts when he was asked if 90% of businesses fail after five years, why in the world would you do it? And Or something to that effect. And he his basic response was, who cares? Who cares about that 90% failure rate? Because if I fail, I'll just start it again. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, then, and so his logic there is, yes, you might fail 90% of the time. But if you can immediately start over, even if it took you three or four times, then you're evaluating the upside of a business compared to a nine to five job. And the upside of a business is unlimited upside potential. That's yeah. the, that's the draw. And that's yeah. the draw for authors, for books. I mean, you know, the magic of a book is all things being equal, a few thousand copies might be sold on average, but there is always the story of the four hour work week or the, you know, Harry Potter or Richest Man in Babylon, which you quoted from, these books that then go on to sell a million copies, 10 million copies. I mean, do the math. It's a massive revenue royalty yeah. stream. And those yeah. install themselves. So then they it kind of perpetuates once they're successful. That is yeah. the massive asymmetrical risk involved in an author's life. Yeah. I'm going to invest three months to write a book. I may make zero dollars. Mm-hmm. And I've lost three months of my life. But it could be unlimited upside potential. And that's the draw for authors. For you, mate, uh, you're totally bewitched by this. I, I, I love the, I the, the passion for this authoring <laughs> business. To bring it back to a bit more to the sort of um, everyday world of, of e-commerce, I mean, sure. just just yeah. to preface, your, I, I counter your, your Kiyosaki quote with a Bezos quote. I mean, and by the way, I love that Kiyosaki quote. You're absolutely right. That's bang yeah. on. Um, Bezos said something a bit more sobering like, okay, if you have a one in 10 chance of 100xing your investment, you should always make that trade. But 
statistically you will fail nine times <laughs> before you right. get that i mean whether it's the first time or the, the right. seventh time well so we don't know if you toss a coin it won't necessarily come up heads tails heads tails you might get eight heads and if you were betting on that event which i don't advise you to do yeah. you would feel pretty horrible if after 49 some freak event happened mm -hmm. and you had 19 yeah. in a row uh, where they went wrong so this is the the nasty downside reality that we have to get our head around and learn to live with and survive but here's an example in the private label world of i'm actually implement this stuff this isn't just theory as you said yeah. this is very 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 practical Go i'm working right now with a client who's a startup but i'm still trying to find more sophisticated philosophy than i used to so instead of going to china and ordering a load of stuff i've, I've tried to bake this into the whole model so i've said right let's try and find some products that we can order that handmade the lower order quantity means that you don't have to bet mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of dollars on being correct basically research and product research also doesn't just mean keyword research we do thorough job with the interviewing potential prospects and deep diving into it but nevertheless we may well be wrong and i say so instead of trying to be perfect about that here's what we're doing we're going to order five units uh, 50 units roughly about the amount he thinks he can sell in a month yeah. across five 50 units each of five different variations of this product different types of wood different shapes etc Mm -hmm. here's what my calculation is if you can sell 50 units a month across all of them then that's amazing now that's the kind of thinking that a lot of people have oh it will all work i don't believe that mm -hmm. now if it mm -hmm. doesn't sell at all and you have to just destroy the stock which is a really the worst possible downside i don't think it's likely to happen the biggest amount he could lose so the downside potential is 100 percent of his capital so whatever that is it can maybe be uh, a few hundred bucks per mm -hmm. per set um maybe a thousand maybe less like a few hundred the upside potential is if you sell those 50 units yeah you maybe go out of stock big deal you just order a 200 you ship them in they sell you order another 200 and over the course of six to 12 months that's a real massive return. Mm -hmm. So, but what interested me about this situation, as I said, look, that's not obsessed with the exactly precise keyword research because the truth is, this is another topic. We don't get much data from Amazon, so we cannot mm -hmm. be precise. A false precision is worse than none because you think you're going to be right and you're not. Let's acknowledge that we're not going to be right. Let's set the situation up so that the biggest downside is 50 units worth and the upside mm -hmm. is unlimited. And, you know, one in five taking off is a pretty good odds. And I think that we've done good research as well. So I'm pretty excited to see how that pans out. And this is my new philosophy for, for, for working with products now. I, I don't want to try to be correct on one go. I want to set the situation up such that if I'm wrong, then the downside is known and limited. And if I'm, and we're right every so often, the upside's really big. And that I don't have to be right all the time. And neither do my clients. It takes the pressure off as well. So I, I think it's just so practical and so yeah. immediately important. It's not just an abstract idea. Yeah, no. And what you're just describing there is portfolio management. Exactly. I mean, it, it's a portfolio um, approach to risk mitigation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and that's that's absolutely one way to to uh, ensure against you know fatal downside yeah yeah is the is portfolio that portfolio is a lot of is an answer to a lot of people's problems in a lot of ways i mean you just you're, you're spreading a risk across multiple options instead of one option yeah no totally totally love that totally agree but, but i just want to capture just to, to respond to that point yeah it's not just about risk diversification that's asset allocation or, or you know mm -hmm. that sort of way of mitigating risk it's the asymmetricness that, that specifically is relevant to mm -hmm. today's topic. The, the mm -hmm. biggest amount you can lose, if you spend 500 bucks on, you know, 50 units, the biggest mm -hmm. you can lose is 500 bucks. But the most you can make if that takes off over the next several years could be tens of thousands of dollars, or at the very least, even if it's a small market, several thousand. And therefore, it is not only diversifying the risk, but it's asymmetric as well. Yeah. 
Love that. More examples? Do we have time for a few more examples? Yeah, go ahead. If you've got some, some examples. I know you've got a couple of things from Pixie Fair. So I've got Pixie Fair examples. Bit. People yeah, might be tired of Pixie that. Fair examples. I've also got one that's outside e-commerce. That I'll, maybe I'll mention this one just if it piques people's interest in terms of learning more and going and, and doing some research. And then if we have time, we'll get back to the Pixie Fair example. Currently in the US and I guess globally, SPAC, the SPAC investing topic is super hot. SPACs are special purpose acquisition companies. They're basically alternate tool to an an IPO where a a company would go public. It's a way in which the company can go public. And it's a way in which people can invest. So you invest in something called a SPAC. And I got into these a year ago or more now, I guess more than that. And here's the interesting, here's the interesting process and the asymmetrical risk nature of what, what happens. Somebody puts out a SPAC for you to invest in. And, you, you know, there's a lot of examples I mentioned, but but let's just say it's out there and it's an investable thing that you can put money into. And you put money into it generally at $10 a share is a, is a common price. And it doesn't, it, it's a, it's a blank check company, as they call it. There is no operating business. It's just the shell of a, of a, of a checking account with, let's say $500 million in the checking account. And you're investing in that and you're, in essence, investing in the person who's sponsoring the SPAC. So you're really believing in them. So for example, if Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, a legendary Silicon Valley investor and a co-founder of PayPal, if he creates a SPAC, you say, oh man, he's probably going to do really well. And what he's doing is he'll get, let's say, $500 million or a billion dollars. And then he goes for, looks for a private company. And he basically says, hey, private company, you want to go public? I'll give you this pile of money, you go public, and boom, we've, we've got a publicly traded company. And all the people who invested in that SPAC then have shares in this new public company. Sorry, I said private, but they, they get shares in this company as it goes public. Now, here's the interesting part. Let's say I put $10,000 into a SPAC, Reed Hoffman's SPAC. I don't know what company he's going to go find and take public. But I know the terms of his deal. He has 36 months to do it. And if after 36 months, and you can go look up all your details if you want on your own. This is just a rough generality. After 36 months, if he does not find this private company to take public, the money comes back to me as an investor. Now, here's the interesting asymmetrical part. Where in the, inter- in the world can you invest that much money for 36 months? With the promise that if something amazing happens, you get an upside or just, you know, the normal process, you get an upside. But if something like if it does not work, they just refund your money to the investor. That is not a common investing scenario because usually in an investing scenario, you're putting all your money at risk. The, the $10,000 you invested would go to zero if the, if the you know, venture fails. So this whole new thing that, and if you research this, if you've never heard of SPACs before, go research it, look at CNBC and their reporting or some, you know, online, you know, educational sites. The concept there is new and it's intriguing. Richard Branson took Virgin Galactic public with a SPAC with Chamath Palihapitiya, who was a SPAC sponsor. And, and it's done incredibly well. And, and so some of these lose money, though, over time, once they go public and the new company is out there for people to invest in, but some of them do exceptionally well. So it's another example completely outside of e-commerce of, you know, having, you know, money put up for a duration of time and then evaluating what's my worst case scenario and what's my best case scenario. 
and then making a decision in that regard. So hopefully that's not too abstract a a real world example, but there you have it. Very interesting. I I do feel we should probably bring it back to e-commerce in a second since we have the words (laughs) in in the title of the podcast. But I think uh, it's very interesting. I mean, I think, I guess that the the only thing I would say about all that stuff, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, would be what about counterparty risk, which is something else that Mm -hmm. is very relevant to e-commerce. For example, counterparty risk means something like, I give my supplier $10,000 in the expectation of giving yeah. them $20,000 and receiving my goods in a month's time. And in the meantime, they go bankrupt. Yeah. Okay. That's called counterparty risk as I understand yeah. it, unless I've yeah. got that wrong. So I suppose there could be counterparty risk that Reed Hoffman's little SPAC or big SPAC Maybe. blows up in the meantime. But but I do take your point that getting your yeah. money back if nothing good happens yeah. is somewhat more certainly more asymmetric risk reward than yeah. than you would get investing in in say a stock whether mm-hmm. that be shopify or indeed your favorite tesla which i have to confess yeah. as well i'm also an investor in now i don't think it's relevant to our podcast in case it becomes yeah. relevant yeah so i i think again bringing it back to e-commerce i'd love to get your pixie fair example i don't think we should shy yeah. away from your your personal experience but what i'd love to say at this point before people's brains shut with a clang because they're busy e-commerce operators. I just think that the the conceptual level stuff, but which is very robust, simple, and visible in life everywhere all the time, in business life above all, is something we need to grasp as a concept as well as finding applications. And I think if you trust that the concept's valuable, then you can find your own applications easily in your own business life. But if you reject the concept because it's not appeared on an Amazon webinar near you or something, mm-hmm. then you're missing out big, big time. I mean, mm-hmm. SPAC is, is a special example of a particular uh, way of implementing a very valid general principle, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that would be sure. my my thoughts. So yeah. let's talk about Pixie Fair because uh, you know, obviously sure. it's your business, it's definitely e-commerce. I'd love to hear about that, your example. Yeah, we run a marketplace, a business. It's We're, in essence, a digital publisher. And uh, so we have about 115 brands that we you know, publish on Pixie Fair. And they are basically constituted in three fashions. One is our in-house brands that we personally did the work to create. And there's a catalog of, of digitally downloadable patterns that we've published that we've made. The other category is royalty partners that publish with us and they get a a royalty payment, a future payment based on sales we make. And then the third bucket is what some, in some occasions we'll just buy people's catalog for a one-time price. And and then we have it and we don't owe them any further obligation. We, we just, you know, wrote them a one-time check and we get all future sales, you know, ourselves. So that it, it creates different scenarios, but I'll just talk about the most obvious scenario. And that's this idea of whether we have a future obligation to royalty partner or not, and whether they what they would prefer. Now, it, it's interesting because let's say somebody spent you know a month working on something, and I say to them, "I'll give you a certain amount for it, one time payment, or we can publish it as a royalty uh, agreement." And it might take three years for you to get to you know that number I was offering you, or two years. They have a choice to make. What do they value more, cash or time? Oh, you know, the, the potential of long-term cash over, over, you know, a decade might be two, three, four times higher, 10 times higher, who knows. But that, you know, in my business, that's literally what we're doing all day long. And that's created a catalog of about 3,000 digitally downloadable patterns. And that's how we think about it. And we create a scenario in which there is no win-lose. It's win-win. It's just a question of what's preference, what's preferential to people. Is pref- is it preferential to people to have upfront money quickly, or is it preferential to have more money over a long ter- 
short-term period. And mm-hmm. here's the specific application to every single e-commerce business. Anything that you look at in your business, it's an ongoing expense, like a commitment that you make. You can always ask the question, how can I zero out this ongoing obligation? Is there an alternate way in which I can zero out this obligation? And if you zero out that obligation, you're adding equity or value to to the assets of your business. In essence, you're creating a scenario in which your cash flow is going to improve over time. Um, So basically, if you agree with somebody that you're going to pay them over time, then you don't have to pay them up front. Then your cash flow is just much, much better. Well, it's diminished on a monthly basis. But if you say to them, I'm going to pay you one time for this, yeah, and it's a num- It's a number. It's a big number. Yeah, but as soon as you recoup that, it's all. It all falls to the bottom line. It's like yeah. buying the real estate. Like so, another example is the real estate underneath a restaurant. Mm-hmm. The restaurant owner can never buy his real estate and always pay a lease in any business. Yeah. This is true. This is true for any business. Yeah. Or you can say to yourself, ah, "I'm going to buy this building, and yeah. it's going to cost me money." And it's going to be painful and it might be multi-year process. Maybe it'll take me yeah. 20 years to pay it off or whatever. But yeah. when I pay it off, that monthly uh, amount is going to fall straight to the bottom line. I'm going to put it in my yeah. own pocket and not have an obligation. That thinking you can apply across the board in any ex- expense category in your business to figure out asymmetrical risk opportunities. Very interesting. Yeah. So funnily enough, this is very relevant to e-commerce because quite a few people I know actually run their own warehouses, which is a heck of an overhead. Yeah. But has many upsides and it showed up in 2020 as being that flexibility and bypass of the FBA system particularly. And uh, one of the guys revealed that they, I think his family's been renting uh warehouse space for generations. I mean, they don't own yeah. it, but they've been wanna, in it forever, which is you crazy. You want to have one other fun little twist on this is yeah, Amazon, you know, we all know Amazon's most profitable business category. Yeah. It's AWS. And what did Amazon do? What was Amazon doing there when and the guy who actually built AWS is now the CEO of Amazon? So the guy who had the yeah, smartest right. thinking, Andy yeah. Jaffe, I think his name is yeah. Jaffe. Funny story about him. We'll mention in another podcast at some point. There's just a personal connection to that. But here's what he was doing. He looked at Amazon's probably largest expense. And this is 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And he said, how could we turn our largest expense into an asset? And it was the server capacity and the hardware computing power. And by offering it to other companies, they created a tiny little revenue stream that probably for the first few years didn't even come close to underwriting any part of that business. But as they went to scale, they got to the point where other people's use of their servers not only paid for Amazon's it Amazon's server costs, it became a massive income generating part of their business to so much to the extent that now it is the primary net profit generator inside Amazon. And by the way, this is a slide note. It's not to do with risk reward, but it's a pricing, which is don't try this at home, folks, because this is not a pricing strategy I would advocate to any small business owner. But basically, Jeff Bezos being the thrifty guy he is and also super smart about competitive practices said, I'm going to make this so damn cheap that it is not attractive or even doable for Microsoft or Apple mm-hmm. or anyone else into that arena, Google, yeah, which is why a- Google indeed. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So AWS is, has really cornered the market and not right. massively cornered, but it's got a huge percentage of market share of the sort of server and sort of the other things that they offer, the computing services platform, essentially, right. um, including the CIA, I understand. So there are a lot of serious players on it, yeah. but they, they deliberately priced it. So it was unattractive for the competition. 
that's that's sophisticated stuff that requires huge capital this is why yeah. i'm saying don't try this at home but it's interesting to observe yeah. the dynamics of that right that that everything those guys do is just super strategic it's just yes. they are super smart people right. and as you say andy jesse coming in kind of is a nervous kind of a signal that that aws is coming of age i mean the interesting thing is uh, this is a complete side note but very relevant to amazon sellers and particularly investors in amazon okay if aws is forced by antitrust legislation to split out from amazon.com how does the retail wing survive on its mm -hmm. own because economically mm -hmm. it's not that self-sustaining in, oh, in many ways I never thought yeah right before. it's gonna be yeah. very interesting mm -hmm. times for amazon shareholders this may be the time yeah. to get out i didn't say this i don't give investment advice particularly not on air but anyway i don't know <laughs> yeah, don't do that. We, we ought well, to sort of summarize this great. together because there's been a lot of big big points but uh, yeah let's let's pull this thing together so people got some takeaways and actionable things here's my summation as an e-commerce operator, we all need to be looking for opportunities to risk a small amount to gain a large upside and look at our large risks and figure out how to minimize or reduce them so that we move outsized risks to asymmetrical risks that are more tolerable to us and constantly move to a position where we're making small bets with big upside potential. And we become more and more clear on the future vision related to those small bets, because the more we know about our short-term actions and activity, the less they seem like risks. They really do move from being a scary risk that we don't know what's going to happen with to just a simple investment that you know what your machine will perform an outcome for. It becomes more algorithmic and get clarity on executing our business models so that we we move into this category of finding asymmetrical risk opportunities and really investing in them to leverage huge upside potential. That's my yeah, summary. That's, that's huge. I've got a couple of things. I mean, I think you mentioned the time element of things, which I think even for the, the, the humble sort of uh, startup, even if you've not got huge money, I think if you put the right time frame on things, you look at things completely differently. If you're obsessed with this ludicrous idea may i just put this out there that, that please don't don't do this at home if somebody says you can replace the day job within a year run the other way please because it's rubbish i mean it could happen but the probability is extremely low and you'll start taking ridiculous risks but if you put a three-year frame on something and look at the risk reward ratio in that sort of frame or even a 10-year frame if you saw six different businesses up as a kiyosaki would have us do it then i think you make very very different decisions the time frame you put on your decisions is is just monstrously yeah. important jeff yeah. bezos wins one reason he's, he's done so well with amazon famously he thinks in seven-year chunks and mm -hmm. and the court the markets in on wall street tend to think in quarterly earnings chunks that's a huge competitive advantage the other thing i would say in terms of small big bets with big upside potential i totally love what you say about having a machine that can make things more calculated than scary kind of uncertainty of risk nevertheless mm -hmm. you can engineer even with new you know brand brand new to a market not sold anything yet if you work with the right people which i have done with this client i've mentioned you can engineer that situation from the very beginning you can build right. it into your way of operating of and course. uh if you take it to heart it, it really will change everything i think it's, right. it's such a critical concept so I'm, I'm a big fan i'm biased but i think it's just fascinating and yeah well, very very interesting stuff today i like it thank you to, for the discussion. to just underscore that point related to coaching i hadn't thought of it that way but an investment in coaching is an investment is tapping in in, in tapping into other people's understanding of the business models that you're running mm -hmm. so if you find a private label expert and you're investing in coaching with them obviously what you're doing is you're investing cash to mitigate your downside risk hopefully ideally yeah. if they're a coach or a consultant that's worth their you know 
uh, salt. And, And so that's the idea there with working with experts. Yeah, it really does give you an opportunity to spend more money on the, on the front end, but yeah. potentially not waste time and not waste money in the long term. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And I basically that's the point I made to somebody the other day, and and he didn't go ahead with coaching. And I kind of feel like yeah, that was the right outcome because yeah. he was starting from scratch as well, but he'd been probably fed some slightly more optimistic, rose tinted view of Amazon. Mm-hmm. I said, well, look. Can I give you certainty? No, I can massively reduce the the downside potential. I can increase the probability of success. And nobody at, at that level, if they've been fed the, the sort of Amazon Chinese juice, don't, they mm-hmm. don't like the word probability, yet alone risk. But yeah. if you are willing to acknowledge the existence of risk and that we live in a probabilistic, not certain universe, which mm-hmm. is very entrepreneurial kind of courage, if you like, the willingness to look uncertainty in the face, yeah. it's the specifically entrepreneurial thing then that makes sense. If, if you believe that the world is, I do A, B, and C, and my master's told me, and then it will all just happen, then that isn't even a, an argument for getting a coach. It's just like, oh, but but is that how the universe works? That's not what the guy on the, on the webinar told me. I'm like, well, yeah. this is my perception, dude. You know? So yeah. I think if you're grown up enough to acknowledge the risk, then somebody can reduce your risk, has huge value, and something that can increase the upside has huge value as well. Yeah, totally agree. Love it. Well, if you're interested in this topic, of course, go back and listen to our prior episode about e-commerce first principles, and then stay tuned for additional episodes related to first principles thinking and how it can apply to e-commerce businesses. So with that said, Michael, thank you so much for another fun conversation. Let's uh, end it here. And if you're if you're listening on Spotify or Apple uh, podcast, whatever your favorite listening device is, we'd love your highest review, rating, or feedback and really appreciate it. Thanks so much. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England, and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.